Hey, this is Andrew from the Medical Money Podcast. Here we share tips and tactics to help doctors earn, grow, and protect their money. Please share it with your colleagues. The Australian government has smashed the piggy bank and opened the checkbook. In today's episode, we discuss the federal government's stimulus packages and how they might be relevant to doctors and their families. Today's episode was recorded on the 3rd of April, 2020. Some initiatives have been passed while others have not yet obtained legislative approval. It's extremely important that you keep in contact with your accountant over the next few months to ensure that you're accessing the initiatives that are available to you. Medicine has always been thought of as a stable profession through all economic cycles, but with social distancing and the cancellation of elective surgery, many practices and practitioners are now struggling to stay afloat. The government has signalled their commitment to keep businesses afloat and prevent job losses. They've already announced measures worth over $200 billion. Today, my guests are John Manning and Kathy Allen from Dewings Accounting and Consulting. They have numerous doctors as clients, and today they'll unpack the new federal government's stimulus packages. First, we'll explore the business and general initiatives. In the second part, we have two case studies to discuss how practices and sole traders can access these initiatives. This podcast is not financial advice, and all opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Please seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decision. Kathy and John, thanks for joining us today. How are you both? Very well, thank you, Andrew. How are you? Very good. I'm enjoying our time to spend time at home with the kids, but um, it's only two days in so far, so we'll see how it goes in a few weeks' time. Very well. Very well is um, the right response, but obviously, you know, it's been an exceptionally busy time for us as a firm, both in terms of our own response as a business. You know, we've got staff and and we're a business, and and you know, it's it's a difficult time. But then, of course, we are also uh, on the front line in terms of dealing with the health of our business of our business clients. You know, so it, it's um, we're we're doing well, but we're uh, it's been an exceptionally busy few weeks, obviously. Yeah, I suppose uh, one one problem is being too busy. Another problem is uh, you know not having enough work, which is more where I'm at at the moment. Um, uh, so, how has your practice changed, and what has been the response from from your medical clients over the past month? Well, as John just indicated, I guess our practice has just got busier. I wouldn't say it's changed per se because we often do work with our clients and, and medical practitioners in um, working on their business, but it's been. Um, more important than ever over the last few weeks with the the various stimulus packages that have been announced by the government. Um, what have our medical clients, what have their response been? Well, it's been very varied. Uh, you know, two or three weeks back, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty. There was a lot of talk about um, practices being closed, um, the whole economy or going into lockdown. Um, and then it sort of turned around to a little bit more certainty for some because, yep, they've been shut down as you have felt, Andrew. And so now that's turned to um, concern for their staff. How are they going to keep them on and, and pay for them? Or if they can't, what will happen with their staff? Um, and, you know, so clients are just looking for advice and um, a bit of understanding about what their fixed costs are, what their cash flow might look like. Good. Well, it does look like the government's recognising that. And over the past two weeks, it seems like they've really just smashed the piggy bank and opened up the checkbook to try and keep businesses um, afloat and, and jobs uh, alive. And it seems like the 
their plan is that the best form of welfare is a job, essentially, and, and then running it through, you know, helping employers rather than having everyone queuing up at Centrelink is an easier way to uh, avoid the spread as well. Um, there's been so many packages that uh, have been come out to stimulate the economy, and each has its own eligibility criteria and active period. And so I'm so grateful that you guys have offered to come and explain things to us today. I think today's might be uh, episode might be a little bit long, so if we can just um, break it up into a few things that will help to make it more digestible and relevant, and um, you know, listeners might want to listen to it in a few a few uh, portions at a time. My listeners are either practice owners, sole traders, or, or salaried medical officers, but they also might have family members that have lost their jobs or be eligible for, for other stimulus income. I thought maybe we could first discuss the government's initiatives that are available to businesses and sole traders. Then we could move on to discussing what's available to individuals. And then I've got a couple of case studies that uh, I was hoping you could guide us through. How does that sound? That sounds good, Andrew. Good. Yep. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. So let's start off with discussing uh, the stimulus things for sole traders. Um, what are some of the initiatives that are either activated or still ready, waiting to, to be passed for sole traders and business owners? Yeah, well, the one that's most topical at the moment is the most recent one, the job keeper payment. Um, that one is not legislated. Um, at this, as we speak, I have not yet seen the draft legislation. Um, Parliament have been recalled to pass that next Wednesday, so we're really hoping that it comes out today. Um, for sole traders, if their turnover has reduced by more than 30% when compared to a similar period last year, or they're expecting it will reduce, um, then they'll be eligible for this JobKeeper payment, which is $1,500 per fortnight from the government, and they can register for that by um, going to the tax office website. So that measure is the measure that would ordinarily be available to businesses that are employing staff, but it has also been extended to sole traders and and people like that for themselves. It's just they'll need to register just like um, a business that employs people needs to do. But the documentation and, and so forth that they need to provide is a little bit different. Um, so for a business, the system is going to be administered through administered through the um, STP system, the single touch payroll system, which obviously won't be available to a, a sole trader. And so they'll have to provide some additional sort of documentation and so forth as a part of the registration process. But they will be assuming that they've had the required drop in turnover, they'll be eligible in the same way that an employer is. How long is that payment expected to, to last for? Is it six months? Yes, it goes from the 1st of April to the 31st of October at this stage. Okay. And so that, uh, that can be quite good for employees who are not even, who are earning less than $1,500, aren't they? They're actually going to get an effective pay rise from not being stood down by their employer. That's correct. So if you take that measure to businesses, um, then the businesses can apply and get $1,500 per employee. And if they're currently paying their employee less, they have to top up that payment to $1,500. And that's gross. That's before tax. That's not, not net in their hands. Yeah. And how about things like um, superannuation on that uh, amount? How does that work for employers? Uh, yeah, that's still a, a little bit uncertain and in some practical respects. But two simple points with that is if you are currently um, keeping your employee on the books and they're still working um, and the $1,500 just goes towards their normal wage, then you just pay your super as normal, your 9.5%. 
If, however, you have stood down your employee and you bring them back because of this JobKeeper payment um, then and you pay them the $1,500, you don't have to pay super on that amount. And if you have an employee who's currently earning $1,000 and you need to top them up to $1,500 because you're getting the JobKeeper payment, then you have to pay the SGC on the $1,000 but not the extra $500. So it's right. going to be fun times for your payroll people. Yes, definitely. They'll have to. Yes, they'll have to understand that because we, um, like, we have thirteen staff working in in my private practice uh, as support team, and so having this come through actually covers a large amount of our uh, outgoing expenses on wages, and so we don't have to stand anyone down. But it's still waiting for that that tick of approval to to come through. There has been some complexity around this as well because what the government really is asking businesses to do is to keep paying staff during April and then effectively there'll be a back payment in May once it's been legislated and so forth. And so we've had a few situations where employers are A, having to make an assessment as to whether they'll actually sort of meet that 30% turnover decline. And for some employers, it'll be really, really obvious. Um, But for others, you know, it may be closer to being indeterminate at this stage and they're going to have to make a decision now as to whether they are able whether they're likely to meet that criteria and then secondly b will they have the cash flow to be able to continue doing that Um, so they're going to need to keep paying staff during april in order to be eligible to receive the payment in may yeah okay and so that's the employer side of things so the people that are practice owners or clinic clinic owners how about guys that like myself who are sole traders who definitely this month until we start elective surgery i'm down to i'm down 90 to 100 percent of my income how what do guys like me need to do to access the uh, job keeper payment well obviously you'll have no problem accessing it um and so therefore the first step at the moment is simply to register. Um, we can probably put a link in the notes, can we, as to where to go to do that? Um, we can definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah, so there's a link at the moment simply on the ATO website that allows you to register. And then once uh, the legislation has passed, it'll actually be an application process. And then you will need to provide your ABN and then proof that your turnover um, does meet that required reduction. Um, and you need to keep reporting each month as well. Um, we're not exactly sure how that looks yet. I don't even know if the tax office know how knows how that looks yet. So more information will come. Okay, excellent. And so we're looking at uh, that being um, legislated over the next few weeks, aren't we? The job JobKeeper payment. Yeah, well, we're calling Parliament next Wednesday, so we should have definite legislation by then. Should be an operative word. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's a good overview of the JobKeeper payment. Um, what are some of the other initiatives? Okay, so first, well, for sole traders, but this equally applies to other businesses as well, there is the increase to the asset write-off um, and what they call backing business investment, which is also some extra depreciation on items over $150,000. Um, John, did you want to talk quickly about those couple of measures? Yeah, so the instant asset write-off increases, I mean, the, there's been uh, up until recently you were able to claim up to $30,000, providing you met the criteria um, in the first year of purchase for an asset. So you don't have to depreciate it over the life of the depreciate it over the life of the asset. You can actually claim the full $30,000 or less in the first year. And so what the government has done is uh, in response to all of this is to increase that limit up to $150,000 up until 30th of June at this stage. Um, 
And so that's effectively the increase to the is an asset write-off. The backing business investment initiative is for assets that are worth more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And in that in that situation, you're able to claim fifty percent of the asset of the value of the asset in the first year, in addition to the depreciation on the remaining balance in the first year. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but effectively, you get an immediate deduction of fifty percent plus the first year's depreciation on the balance after that 50% is deducted. Okay, so that's on things above $150,000. With things like right now, my my practice is uh, we're doing a a massive renovation and that's going to be more than $150,000. Where does that put us with that uh, backing business investment if it's something that we've already started? It's a great example actually of, um, of where it'll be useful. Um, the equipment essentially needs to be installed and ready for use by the 30th of June. And um, so that's a fixed timeline. Um, but in that context, then it's a great example of someone who could take advantage of this measure. Where they've used it in the past is really to try and stimulate spending within the economy. And that's why they're calling, the, especially the larger measure, backing business investment. But people can be lulled into um, a sense of sort of false security with that because they can sort of think, oh, well, I'm going to get this huge deduction. I should go out and buy something. But really, there's still going to be a net cash outflow. And so at a time when cash flow for many people is going to be exceptionally tight, you just need to give really careful thought as to whether you want to go out and be spending money on equipment that perhaps you don't need or that um, can be put off for a while or something like that because, you know, it may be the difference between being able to pay your staff or not. But in a situation like the one you've identified there, perfect example um, of how that's going to help someone like you. With the renovation too, though, you'd need to actually break it down to what that renovation is and whether it is equipment or whether it's um, structural improvements as well and it may well be that you'll have um quite a few items under 150,000 that you might be able to actually claim outright but if it was over 150 then you get that um 150% upfront and then the normal depreciation and so that's for is it for the uh 2020 financial year or the 2021 as well currently yeah good question I was going to add to that too so yeah that over 150 goes through to 2021 up to June 2021 but the under 150 instant asset write-off is currently only to June 2020. Excellent. So if guys want to make, buy some uh, equipment and things, they want to be doing that pretty soon, don't they, if it has to be activated by 30th of June? Correct. And what we ordinarily have been saying, actually, is um, that limit's been annually increased or extended in the May budget every year. So when they first announced that, we were thinking, oh, May budget, they might actually still extend it out. But they've actually now pushed the May budget out to August. Um, so if they are going to extend that measure past 30th of June, it will have to be a, a special announcement as they have been doing with some of these other measures. Okay. And how about the, um, uh, the bank guarantee? Or Has that been passed? I don't know the f- official name for it. What's it called? Small Medium Enterprise Guarantee Scheme? Um, that's a good question, Andrew. I would have to check that. I, I believe it has been passed because it's part of the first round of measures that went through. And that is still, though, fairly well subject to bank discretion. So the, the government has said that they will guarantee 50% of SME loans up to 250000 subject to banks' normal lending criteria. And so it's really at the, the discretion of the bank for, for normally viable businesses to help them through. Um, so far, um, I have seen um, a couple of banks be quite um, reasonable with that. I mean, they still want their millions of P 
pieces of paperwork to tickle their boxes, um, but they're actually um, lending on that. So that's good news. Um, but of course, the banks themselves are a bit inundated and busy too. So you, if you want to take advantage of that measure, you need to get onto your business banker as soon as you can. And so what does that guarantee mean in practical terms for businesses? Uh, well, what I understand it means, Andrew, is that if for some reason they aren't actually able to meet the repayments or not repayments or pay back the principal on that loan, um, the government will, will pay 50% of it back to the bank. It's important, I think, to note, though, Andrew, we, and we, there may be information that we haven't seen. And as Cathy said, it'll actually be subject probably to the bank's own provisions. But the loans are unsecured. So that means effectively the government is underwriting 50% of it and the other 50% is unsecured. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the bank won't uh, still ask for director's guarantees. Okay, so it still basically works as a, a standard loan. You don't really want to be defaulting on it if, if, you, if you don't have to. Especially if there's a director's guarantee in place and cash flow is, is expected to be quite tight. You want to sort of be careful and think carefully about whether you're really going to need it. Having said that, um, we expect the, the banks will release specific products intended to meet this criteria. And, and those products have got some other benefits as well. Um, likely to be a reasonably low interest rate and potentially lower than um, current overdraft rates and so forth, although some banks have given some concessions on overdraft rates already. But also repayments on the loan can be deferred for up to six months as well. And um, so that may deliver some sort of cash flow advantage. So it's not open and shut, uh, but, you know, you need to, I guess it comes back to, again, it being the bank's normal lending criteria. And so you still need to give consideration as to whether you're going to be able to fund that loan. It's not a free line of credit. That makes sense. And uh, can you talk a bit about the early access to superannuation? We can. We just need to preface it by uh, a disclaimer. Uh, we're not financial advisors. We're not licensed financial advisors. And so everything that we say about that is just general in nature and particularly relates to you know tax and sort of comparing the various options. But we can't advise people, obviously, what to do in respect of that. Um, but the measure effectively allows individuals to access up to $10,000 from their superannuation before 30th of June and another 10000 in the first quarter after 30th of June if they've had a decline in income of uh, 20% or more. And so that's 20% or more for, for that time period or for the uh, financial year expectation? It's a good question. I Do you know the answer, Cathy? Um, no, I don't know off the top of my head, but I was going to say the same thing, a good question. But I do... Um believe it's most likely to be for the, the, the current time period, like so from middle of yeah. March until the end of June, because it's supposed to be helping people out now who you know have lost their jobs or experienced more than a 20% reduction. Um, so, yeah, I believe it's for this quarter. Yeah, my understanding is it's a before and after. So if there is a fixed point in time where your income as a consequence of this has dropped by 20%, then at the time of application, you're eligible. So many uh, intricacies, aren't there, to all of these new things? It's so hard for people to understand them. This is a really interesting one too because, you know, on the one hand, there is a fantastic compounding effect that comes from superannuation through the tax concessions that are provided there. So, you know, people need to give really careful consideration as to whether they want to withdraw from that. By the same token, um, you know, there's you might make the argument that if it's the difference between having savings and being able to 
pay your mortgage or put food on your table or whatever, then look, it's an option that's available. And so, you know, it's something that people are going to have to give consideration to and possibly speak to their financial advisors about. Yeah, I think that's the key there, isn't it? To speak to someone, a financial advisor who can uh, draft out the, the cash flow situation to see whether it makes sense for the short term and also for the long term as well. Um, are there any other things that are relevant to sole traders or, or business owners that you can think of? Um, for sole traders, I guess the other thing is if they don't satisfy the 30% um, reduction in turnover threshold, but they do actually find the overall profit is still down um, and they're not earning a great deal, they can actually go for the job seeker payment if their fortnightly um, income's less than $1,075. Um, and that would then give them $1,100 a fortnight. So it's not as great as the job keeper. Um, but depending on the circumstances, they might not be eligible for job keeper. And then, of course, for all businesses who employ staff, there is um, what they call the cash flow boost for employers. And that gives employers 100% of the pay as you go withheld from their employee wages back as a credit on their business activity and instalment activity statements. So that measure applies um, for the March quarter or March month BAS or IAS and it's designed to cover the um, tax taken out of the employee's wages from January to March and so when you lodge that let's just use a quarterly um, BAS person or business when they lodge their March BAS um, they will get a credit for the page go withheld for that quarter which means they effectively don't have to pay that and then for the June quarter um, same again, they will get a credit for that amount. And then they get a credit for the total of that all again in June through to September. So let's just say, and oh sorry, and that's up to a maximum of fifty thousand. So let's just say for an example, your March quarter you took ten thousand dollars out of your employee wages. Um, you get a credit for that on your March BAS, so you don't have to pay that. Let's say it's the same again for June. You get a credit for ten thousand dollars on your June BAS, so you won't have to pay that. And then that totals $20,000. You then get a credit for that um, over the next two BASs, June and September. Again, so another 10000 on each, assuming you're still active and employing. So the uh, accounts department definitely needs to uh, bone up on their knowledge in that area, then, don't they, to make sure they're, they're maximising? That's a really hard one to do um, on podcasts as well. You really need to look at your actual figures and then plot out what it is that you're going to get because um, it's a little bit more tricky if you're monthly as well, because for your March one, you get three times your March page go withholding. Um, so you have a talk to your accountant or your payroll person and, and map that one out to what it means for you. Yeah. And how about for sole traders, um, say like myself, with regards to BAS? Effectively, I'm going to be lodging my BAS in the next month or so for, for the uh, third quarter. The fourth quarter is essentially going to be next to nothing in income. Or what should people like myself be doing to to not have to pay that um, BAS payment based on our last year's or you know past five years income in in the next quarter? Okay, so I think what you might be referring to there, Andrew, is your pay as you go instalment because generally as Medico you probably don't have any GST to pay. Although, sorry, locums may have. But I'll just focus on that pay-as-you-go instalment, which is um, an amount you pay towards your 2020 tax based on your last tax return lodged. Um, And so if you are expecting that your income um, will be down, which you obviously will, then you can look at varying that instalment 
down as well. So have a talk to your accountant, estimate what your income is for the year and look at varying that instalment to um, a reasonable amount based on what you expect your tax of the year will be. Um, there are also some industries that the taxation office are allowing them to vary their pay-as-you-go instalments to zero for the past quarters already this financial year. Um, that requires an application to the taxation office but might be something worth looking at if your cash flow is really tight. Um, the tax office in general have announced that in terms of uh, onerous payment obligations that may be sort of coming out for businesses that they're going to allow a range of deferrals, um, varying of instalments, um, remitting interest and penalties on overdue amounts and so far, far and so forth. Uh, our experience so far has been um, that the tax office has been fairly generous in that regard. Um, and so, but the, but the important thing is that these measures in terms of the tax office allowing concessions and so forth are not automatic. So people need to liaise with the tax office and apply individually for concessions like deferrals, remission of penalties and interest and so forth. Okay. Um, Kathy, you mentioned before briefly about the job seeker payment. Maybe we'll take that uh, as a chance to move on to our next part, which is talking about um, stimulus initiatives for individuals. What are some of the things that are available for, for individuals? Because we're obviously functioning families where spouse may have been laid off or uh, there may be parents who have been laid off that we can, we can, uh, who are able to access other stimulus initiatives. Yeah, so I'll take I'll grab the job seeker one since you've you've mentioned that. So I raised that before with the the sole trader. So that equally applies to um, permanent employees who have been stood down, who maybe their employer is not eligible for the job keeper payment. Um, applies to casuals whose income have has dropped, um, and sole traders and the self employed. And so if your income is less than that thousand and seventy five dollars per fortnight you'd be eligible for the job seeker payment of $1,100 per fortnight. Um, and so that's, um, they're all the people that we saw on the TV lining up in queues for Centrelink to get the job seeker payment, but you can do that online. So I think that's it for the job seeker. And then um, anyone who is on um, some sort of Centrelink benefit at the moment, whether that be um, job seeker, age pension, family tax benefit, uh, you'll also get a stimulus payment of $750. And from what I understand, some of that has already started to flow through. Um, and then there's another payment coming in a few months time. Worth noting too, Andrew, that the income test for spousal income has doubled in terms of eligibility for job seeker as well. So where one partner loses their employment, um, then their eligibility for job if they're married their their eligibility for job seeker will also be dependent on what their spouse's income is and just last week they announced a doubling of the income limit for eligibility for that as well yep okay um could you speak a bit about uh the moratorium on evictions potential free childcare, and also rent relief the moratorium on evictions is actually a very live issue um we just before we started recording here um watched the Prime Minister deliver a press conference on that. So that's been one of the vague things that's been out there. People have been interested to know what it means because the term's been thrown around, but nobody really knows, well, you know, okay, it's pretty clear 
that that would apply in a situation where someone's experiencing financial duress because of this current crisis. But what happens if, you know, they're just a bad tenant or something like that? Um, the Prime Minister, just before we started recording, uh, it's not finalised yet, but announced that they're working on a code of conduct that they'll ask landlords and tenants to side on, sign on to. And when they do, then at that point, the tenant will effectively be eligible for um, a protection from eviction. But it's still sort of in that space where they're basically saying that, and, and I think they're right on this too, that that because it's a difficult space to navigate. On the one hand, yes, of course, tenants are under financial duress and rent is one of their biggest expense. But there are many, many cases where landlords too are relying on that income as well. And, you know, they're not all big sort of multinational property developers. They can just be mums and dads and so forth, you know. And um, so the Prime Minister is still encouraging landlords and tenants to get together and kind of nut this out and negotiate something that kind of works for both parties um, the code of conduct will help with that and provide some protection but it still is going to involve a bit of negotiation and, and to and fro between landlord and tenant and you know that's the nature of the times you know where we're all in this together and and we're going to have to find solutions that, that get us all through and will that apply to both residential and commercial tenant agreements the prime minister was just speaking about commercial uh, tenancy i think commercial leases in that press conference is that right Cathy? yeah i think you're right john so we don't we still don't know what the situation is um in terms of residential um the prime minister did say though that um they were talking about it at all, all today i think or probably all week for that matter but they still weren't quite ready to release their proposal and they're expecting to do that on tuesday so there should be more information coming out next tuesday all right, then maybe our next part, we'll go through a couple of case studies uh, just to illustrate some of the things we've already talked about and how they might be relevant for people in different circumstances. But obviously, we preface it with everyone needs to see their own um, accounting and financial uh, advisory services to make sure that it's suitable for them. Um, the first one, this one's relevant to practice owners who run a practice with admin staff and maybe have other practitioners. So the scenario is that Ray is a GP and runs a GP clinic. He has four other doctors who work as contractors and pay a service fee to the clinic. Ray employs two part-time nurses, six admin staff with a mixture of full-time, part-time and casual contracts. They have started telehealth, but income has fallen significantly. What are some of the new support measures that Ray can think about accessing? Okay, so um, I think the first thing to start with Ray is the job keeper payment. Um, assuming his um, revenue has fallen by more than thirty percent because of the the, the telehealth measures, um, he can look at getting fifteen hundred dollars per fortnight for his eligible employees. So that would include his part time nurses, um, his full time and part time admin staff, and would include his casuals if they're what's called long term casuals. So they have been with him for 12 months or more. And all of them need to have been employed as of the 1st of March 2020. So if he satisfies all that criteria, then he can get $1,500 per fortnight for them. And if he just puts that towards their normal wages, then he will continue to pay the, the super guarantee as he normally would. He's also going to be eligible for the page-go withholding rebate as well. Andrew, so depending on what the value of his withholdings are for his employees, his tax withholdings, he'll get 100% of that back for the March to June period. And then whatever he gets back during that period, he'll then get the same amount back for the following quarter as well. 
and then if cash flow was an issue, he'd be able to access the um, the SME guarantee scheme. Yes, exactly, because that's the one thing with that JobKeeper payment is that um, they're expecting you to pay them now and then the money comes back in early May. So you've got at least a month that you need to fund that and then the tax office will then pay that monthly as well. So you'll always have that fortnight or so to, to cover. So if you're going to struggle with that, the Prime Minister actually just said today, go and talk to your bank. Yeah, he did. Those SME loans too, Andrew, as I understand, or certainly some of the material that I've seen so far suggests that it's not going to be a fixed amount where you go and you need to tell the bank now what you need to borrow, but it will effectively function as an overdraft, like a line of credit. So, you know, businesses will be able to draw from that as they need to and pay back then when they can. Yeah. And if he did, if cash flow wasn't an issue and he had plenty of cash in the bank, he could potentially look at, um, you know, capital expenditure in buying new equipment or even, you know, taking on new rooms if he thought that was uh, a way of increasing the accelerated income or sorry, no, the uh, uh, increased asset write-off. Yeah. And that's that's right, Andrew. So he's had a pretty good year so far. Um, a lot of the clients we've been speaking to have had, you know, a good year, particularly March. He might have actually quite a bit of taxable income to date. So you take advantage of um, the accelerated depreciation and, and buy something before June and, and pull down his tax bill for the year if cash flow allows. Excellent. All right, well, let's move on to case study number two, which is relevant to sole traders. So I'll just read out the scenario. So James is a surgeon in full-time private practice. He's part of a group practice and pays a percentage of his billings as a service fee, but is not actively involved in running the practice and does not have any employees of his own. He files his BAS quarterly and has some work equipment that is due for an upgrade. All non-urgent surgery has been cancelled, so his income will fall significantly until operating can again recommence. What support measures could James consider? So in this case, um, James would be eligible for the job keeper payment um, as a what we call a sole trader, assuming he's running in his own name um, and his income has dropped by, sorry, turnover has dropped by more than 30%. Um, he would be eligible for the job keeper payment, the $1,500 per fortnight. Um, and then he does still have the accelerated depreciation um, concessions available to him if he's looking at buying, upgrading some of his work equipment. And again, as I just mentioned before, if he's had a good profit to date, that would help reduce his taxable income for the year, which might then mean he can vary these pay-as-you-go instalments down and gets a bit more tax back that way. Um, Again, subject to having the cash flow to do so. And that's probably it for um, James there. Have you got any thoughts there, John? No, that sounds about... Right to me, I can't think of anything else specifically that would apply to him other than just SME financing as well, which we've already discussed. Yeah, or access, early access to his super if he wanted to. Right. Also potentially early access to his super. That's right. Um, so, you know, and again, that's something you need to take under consideration, but that would be the other measure. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for uh, giving us your insights into those uh, case studies because there's lots of us who yeah are in those two positions, <laughs> um, some of us in both. Um, and so... What's your general advice to clients uh, in dealing with these current circumstances? What what should they be be doing? Yeah, I think now more than ever is um, a good time to make sure that you are talking to your accountant, uh, being sure that they're up to date with um, all these various changes and how it actually applies to you specifically. Uh, it's good to do your own research, but it's also good to talk to someone who, who knows and knows your circumstances and to help you to apply it. And then I think it's also really important just to know what your costs are and then work out where you can um, trim or minimise those. 
So it might be that you do need to talk to your landlord if you are like Ray, the GP, and he's got premises. And if it's, well, if he doesn't own his premises, then having a chat to his landlord about what he might be able to do if he needs to you know, keep his overheads down. Um, it might be that he's self-managed super fund owns the premises, so he might need to have a talk to himself about what he can do there. Um, and also talking to the bank if you need to. And I think one of the other really important things in this current environment is to keep your staff informed as well. Um, they're a bit scared and uncertain too, so if you can um, communicate well with them about what's happening and what you're expecting, um, it just keeps for a, a little bit less stressed workforce in these times. Yeah, a lot of people are working from home at the moment and what are the things that people can claim now, uh, now that a lot of people are doing telehealth from home that they weren't doing before? Are there any, can they claim toilet paper, for example? <laughs> uh, so do you think they can get it, um, Andrew? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. Um, nothing more has actually come. So there's been no new guidance from the tax office on today's circumstances. Um, the, the general rules are that you can claim a set rate per hour um, that you actually spend in your home office. Um, historically, the tax office have been really quite strict on that, though, that you do actually have to have a separate office set aside that you're working from. Uh, it can't have a bed in it or and it can't be the, the kitchen table. Um, and if you meet that requirement, then you need to have a reasonable estimate of the hours that you're working from home. Um, it'd be good to keep a log for four weeks to help establish that. And then you can get 52 cents an hour um, when you lodge your tax return for the time that you spent working from home. Um, yeah, you're hoping that they might release something to make that a little bit more generous given the current times, but they haven't done that yet. Um, I did see something. I did see something. It's very vague, and I'm sorry I can't give you more information at this point, Andrew. Amongst the copious reams of stuff we've been reading over the last uh, couple of weeks, I saw something somewhere that mentioned that the government or the tax office is planning on releasing some guidance on this for people beginning to work from home, whether that will involve some sort of more concessional measures or whether it's simply guidance on the existing measures, we don't know. But apparently there will be some some fact sheets or, or guidance type documents being released at some point about this. And the other thing that you probably will be able to do is claim more of your home internet as well. So obviously you need your internet, most people to work from home. Um, and so we're about to claim a percentage of that that relates to your work use. And again, the tax office sort of require a bit of a log of you know, how many hours you do. And I guess it's going to be a tricky um, area because if you've actually got your children at home as well who are um, doing their schooling online, then they're using the internet as well. So it's about being reasonable of what percentage your internet usage is compared to the, the whole household. Yeah, it does make quite, get quite finicky, doesn't it, in uh, justifying uh how much time or how much bandwidth um, is being used for, for business purposes. It, it definitely yeah. can. And that's why it'd be really great if the tax could just come out and say, look, everyone can claim X amount per day or something like that to make it really simple. Um, but just watch this space, I guess, to we'll see if something comes out. Yeah. Um, you guys have been really generous today. What services do you guys offer and how can listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, we are a boutique firm of, of business advisors and tax accountants. So our specialty really is operating with people who are in business. And obviously, this is a particularly challenging time for them at the moment. Um, we work with a lot of medical practices in Adelaide, and we also work with a, a number of businesses around Australia as well. Um, so this is something that we have been, you know, navigating furiously and and with a lot of 
hours of research and so forth over the last uh, um, few weeks. And so what we've been doing for our clients is um, just providing effectively like a, a free helpline to them for them to call us and just talk through some of the concerns they have as new announcements are made. How are those things going to apply to them you know in their own unique circumstances and so forth and um, you know that's something that we can do for our clients we're also happy to extend that obviously to your listeners as well with the caveat that we um, can't be bound by any advice that we're not engaged to provide if that makes sense so any advice that we do provide would just be very general in nature but for your listeners we're happy to extend that and um, look we we want to help out businesses as as much as we can this is um an unprecedented time, you know, for business. I don't think, I think Kathy would agree. We've, we've experienced some downturns over the years, um, the GFC and so forth, but we've never experienced anything like this. And we know that, that businesses are really feeling it. And so we just sort of want to be there to, uh, you know, help them through that. And, and so that's what we've been doing. Obviously we can't conduct face-to-face meetings, but we're just, you know, keeping our phone lines open and our, our email and our other sort of online services open around the clock so that they can talk through some of this stuff with us. Yeah, I'll put those um, contact details and your website and phone numbers in the uh, in the show notes. Um, currently, I'm the Secretary of the Chinese Medical Association of uh, South Australia. I understand you have a special offer for our members. We do, yeah. We've been a long-time sponsor of the Chinese Medical Association in South Australia. Um, we have a fantastic relationship with them. And uh, one of the things that we do as a part of our sponsorship is that we provide uh, 50% off the first year accounting fees for ACMA members. And that can be for a small practice or, or a large group. And that really gives people the opportunity to try. Uh, you know, it's a big decision for people to change advisors. And so it gives them the opportunity to try and see what they think without having that sort of real cost impediment. And um, so that's what we do. You need to be an ACMA member to access that. And for younger doctors or those who are just salaried employees and so forth, we will do um, their first year tax return for free and then we offer a discounted service after that as well. Excellent. So that's a good uh, reason for people to jump on our website and, and join up as members. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for, for taking the time to walk us through those stimulus packages. I know that there's so much unknown still and things haven't actually been brought into this legislation. So thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, we look forward to catching up with you guys again sometime soon. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thanks, Andrew. If you're interested in learning how to optimize your finances, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com and subscribe to stay updated. If you know a colleague who might also find this information useful, please share this with them. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments and recommendations to me at andrew at medicalmoney.com. See you in the next episode.